located and if they're breeding. Scat, or poop as many of us know it, can also give insight into where wolves are, what they are eating, and even genetics. You can learn about the pack and who is related to whom. Did you ever think poop could be so helpful? Researching wolves sometimes starts not just with the wolves themselves, but the wildlife they depend on. Elk can be monitored to see how predators and other factors are affecting them. Since wolves tend to hunt more vulnerable or smaller animals in a herd, researchers can compare elk calf survival rates to population sizes for wolves. Survival of calves depends a lot on their size and the overall health of the cow elk raising them. While wolves can still kill larger elk, the overall population of the herd is typically less affected by removing a larger animal, which is why monitoring elk calf survival rates can be a useful tool. Regardless if you're eager or concerned to see wolves out on our public lands, we all can make sure the outdoors are safe for people, wolves, and other wildlife by working together and keeping our distance. Thank you for joining me during this video series to learn about gray wolf reintroduction and what it means for Coloradans. Together, we have explored why it is important to understand the science, history, and the role of stakeholders in order to have a successful reintroduction. As you continue to learn about gray wolves on your own, consider the various viewpoints of different stakeholders and the needs of both people and wolves to help make wolf reintroduction successful in Colorado. I'm Jesse Witten, a local radio DJ, live music promoter, and overall Colorado music scene cheerleader, and your host of Mile High Mixtape, a music video series that brings you a look and listen to some of our community's biggest musical talents. Mile High Mixtape, only on Denver 8 TV. Denver City Council begins now. Good afternoon, everyone. Today's meeting is being interpreted into Spanish. Uh, Sam and Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself? 
and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, of course. This is Alejandro. Thank you very much for having us with you all once again. And thank you for your patience as I provide instructions in Spanish. Hola a todos, mi nombre es Alejandro Arrieta, soy uno de dos intérpretes el día de hoy, estoy trabajando con mi colega Samuel Guzmán. Si usted prefiere escuchar en español, después de estas instrucciones, verá un icono terráqueo aparecer en la parte inferior a mano derecha en su pantalla. Si ha ingresado a la junta usando un dispositivo móvil, tal como tableta o celular, podrá ver la opción de la interpretación bajo el menú con los tres puntitos que dice más. De ambas maneras podrá seleccionar el español y poner el audio original en silencio si es lo que usted prefiere. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alejandro. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting on Monday, February 12, 2024. Council members um, and community, please rise as you are able and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you very much. Council members, please join Councilwoman Lewis as she leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. Thank you. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land of which we reside is the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government academic and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous peoples. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Madam Secretary, thank you. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Alvizuas. Here. Flynn? Here. Gilmore? Here. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Here. Hines? Here. Cashman? Here. Lewis? Present. Parody? Here. Romero Campbell? Here. Sandoval? Here. Sawyer? Here. Watson? Here. Madam President? Here. 13 eyes, or 13 members present. Thank you. There are 13 members present. Council has a quorum. Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of February 12th? Seeing none, the minutes stand approved. Council announcements, are there any announcements today? Okay, seeing none, we're moving on. There are no presentations. Uh, we have one communication. Madam Secretary, please read the communication. 24-0148, a letter dated February 2nd, 2024 from Mike Johnston, Mayor, notifying City Council of his veto of Council Bill 23-1960. Thank you very much. Um, the communication regarding the veto of Council Bill 24-0148 has been received and filed. Um, consideration of vetoed ordinance, Councilwoman Parity, Will you please make the motion to override the veto on Council Bill 23-1960? Thank you, Council President. I move that Council Bill 23-1960 passes, notwithstanding the disapproval or objections of the mayor. Thank you very much. And that has been moved and seconded. Uh, any questions or comments on Bill 1960? We'll give folks a second. Councilwoman Parity. 
Yeah, we've we've spoken about this bill extensively, so I'll just be brief here. Um, I want to say that um, the sort of the thrust of the mayor's letter is that um, removing uh, removal of people from their shelters uh, during cold weather should be rare during his administration. I'm certainly glad to hear that. Um, but in speaking to advocates, um, even since the bill passed council a couple of weeks ago, um, we've just been collecting examples of um, people who have experienced being swept when it was cold outside. And that could be under a lot of different city authorities. We've ex discussed that exhaustively. That could be an individual police officer going out and using their discretion um, to enforce the urban camping ban when it's zero degrees out. Um, we have heard the story about um, Brian, who was swept under the camping ban while sleeping on a bench with just a sleeping bag in the cold last week. Um, Carl, who was swept from a single tent by park rangers. Um, now that, of course, is not in directly impacted by this bill because parks has charter level authority. Um, but nonetheless, it happened to him in the cold. Um, Gary, who was moved last week while sick in the freezing cold, um, he's an elderly man. He lost all of his gear. He was vomiting um, when he was asked to move along. Um, and because his, he was unable to move his items, they were taken from him. He was left sleeping with nothing. Uh, it was cold and wet outside and ended up hospitalized. Um, he's 62 years old. Um, community did a fundraiser for him and um, has put him in a hotel for the time being, um, but that's not a long-term solution for him or others like him. Um, and then finally, um, folks who were at work when the um, Zuni Street camp was moved um, and ended up setting their tents up in another location, um, were swept on January 24th on public right of way um, while it was uh, freezing outside um, under a 48 hour removal notice. So that's just to say that uh, and there's probably six more examples here. So it is still happening. Um, and I maintain that this is a small change um, to our city's authority to move people that just says, leave, leave shelter alone when it's freezing out um, and then go back to normal enforcement authority when it's above 32 degrees. Thank you. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Lewis. Um, I'd just like to uh, read a few more remarks. On a cold night in December, our city came together to light candles and remember lives they never knew. At least 311 people died living on, in unsheltered homelessness in Denver last year. More than 300 humans lost their lives trying to survive. Four Americans live with a distinct lack of access to adequate health care for those living in poverty. One, more inaccessible if you're helping to address mental, not physical health. A 2022 study found that virtually all people living on house had experienced unresolved childhood trauma. While many variables, including housing costs and low wages, can contribute to a person being forced into homelessness, a common denominator too long ignored is trauma. Trauma has been clin clinically confirmed to physically alter the brain, leading to self-destructive behavior and poor memory. Without access to adequate care, self-medicating can lead to substance use compounding issues. Daughters and sons, brothers and sisters, cousins, living in survival mode is an already vulnerable situation. Human beings who, with a little support, can find their truest self if only we reach out and offer a hand. While we can. Losing someone you love is an incomprehensible kind of grief, one that leaves a hole in your heart impossible to know until you've known it, to know you could have prevented that loss, that you could have saved your, lo your loved one's life in a particularly poignant night of pain. Three years ago this month, I lost my cousin David, David White. David was 38 years old when he lost his life living unsheltered in Denver. I didn't know until it was too late. 
so many of us didn't know until it was too late. Kind, smart, caring, committed to being his best person. My cousin's pride prevented him from asking for help while our increasingly unaffordable housing market left him behind. The cost of living crawling ever up while his paycheck remained the same for as long as he had one. His immediate family did not know, thus unable to help him as they could. With limited resources offered by the city, members of the community that have come to love and respect my cousin David were able to provide a small camper for him to sleep in. David, hard filled with empathy and compassion until the end, offered it to a mother and her child on the coldest night, shouldering the risks of staying unsheltered in, <clears throat> in the cold outside. A kindness with fatal consequences. I wish I had known. I wish I could have helped directly. I wish that we lived in a world where those living in unsheltered homelessness were resourced and helped and not simply shuffled along, suffering as society leaves them forgotten. I wish that the city had then prioritized the pathway to long-term homes for our unhoused neighbors. Housing first approaches to addressing unsheltered homelessness are proven to work. Data from Colorado's homeless management information system reflects that it works better than any other model with an 87% success rate empowering folks to find autonomy and long lasting housing. The approach acknowledges that people need basic necessities like consistent access to food and a place to live before attending to anything less critical such as getting a job, budgeting properly or attending substance abuse issues. Putting people on the pathway to permanent housing offering wraparound trauma-informed services centered in compassion is the best way to help a traumatized population thrive, not survive. In cold weather, it can feel kind to move someone in a tent inside for a night, but the long-term impacts of forced displacement ripples. Paperwork and identif identification can be lost, meaning months of bureaucracy to replace them before finding housing or work. Tents, bedding, food, cooking equipment, clothing, shoes, and other items needed to survive are destroyed, thrown away, or removed to a storage facility that residents may not be able to access. Replacing these items may not be possible and takes time and resources away from more constructive solutions. There are very good reasons people prefer to remain where they are. The, shitty sh the city should heed the recommendations of medical experts and those with lived experience. When they say that it, if temporary shelter is offered in lieu of stable housing, it is safer to provide resources to them and allow them to remain in place. When temporary shelters are swept during freezing temperatures, belongings that don't get lost or stolen can get wet or frozen and people will be cold, dangerously cold. That leads to people becoming sick and because of their already at-risk living situations, they don't get better after a day or two of rest. Symptoms are instead further exacerbated by the elements of a cold, exacerbated by the elements and a cold becomes a death sentence for so many. Mayor Johnson executed his first veto of council legislation, rejecting resolution 23-1960 concerning the removal of shelter while the outside temperature is predicted to be 32 degrees Fahrenheit or lower. <clears throat> I ask that we consider my cousin David, as you all are making decisions as of this body and considering this veto um, as we move forward. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Councilman. <laughs> Councilman Cashman. 
Yeah, thank you, Madam President. Um, I continue to support the bill in question for the reasons my colleagues have spoken this evening and we've talked about over the past few weeks. Um, I just can't get to a place where I think it makes sense to sweep people in the temperatures at freezing or below. Um, that said, we've got a couple of fortunate pieces to the puzzle right now. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, this season of freezing weather um, is, is uh, moving along. Uh, we've got a, several more weeks and we'll be into warmer weather. So that's a, a blessing uh, no matter what happens with this bill. Um, I think another thing we have in our favor is I believe that our current mayor um, will show greater sensitivity than maybe we've been used to as far as when uh, sweeps are ordered uh, when the weather gets cold. That said, uh, I, I'll just repeat, I think it's important that we come up with a bill uh, th uh, 32 degrees or below uh, that makes sense for all sides. And uh, earlier I asked uh, one of the mayor's team, uh, perhaps they can come up with a bill uh, that addresses the 32 degree margin, but meets their, that takes care of their concerns to be sure they're able to continue to uh, exercise policy that, that uh, is of great concern to them. So um, I'll look forward to continuing to push in that direction in the coming months. Uh, I would, very, should this override uh, not succeed tonight, uh, I would hope we could get something in place uh, more satisfactory to all sides by next next uh, cold weather season. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Uh, the intended and unintended consequences of this bill would be harmful to residents of District 9, and I believe the entire city. I encourage my colleagues that voted against this ordinance initially to maintain their no votes tonight. I believe my primary role as a council member is to provide laws to make the complex, sometimes frustrating bureaucracy that is the city less complex or in a dream state simple. This bill by any stretch of the imagination does the opposite. It makes the complex more complex. We have to work, we have work to do in council mm. The decisions we make tonight and over the next weeks will impact dramatically the lives of every resident in our city, including those that are unhoused. Let us be about that progress. Let us be about advancing the success we as council in collaboration with you as a community and the administration have gained over the last seven months by finding shelter for over 1200 souls that persisted on our streets some for days, some for weeks, months, and others for years. I see my sister's face in each of their faces. My mother sees her face in each of their faces and each of the folks who have died on our streets similar to her death. The promise I made to my family and my community was that I would do everything I can to reduce the number of folks dying on our streets in tents. This no vote is one small step towards that promise. I'm a solid no on Council Bill 1960 because this ordinance will 
prevent our ability to complete encampment resolution processes in District 9, especially in the ballpark and the Five Points communities. It will overturn the city adopted camping ban for a time certain during the year, allowing encampments to exist in defiance of the clear vote and will of 82% of the public. The complexity within the bill will stop, stall, or frustrate the process of moving encampments in public right-of-ways into shelters. Now, I've joked over the last several weeks that our deliberations of this bill over the last several months, debating seven-day weather patterns in a city that brags that our weather changes hourly, should provide each of us as council members a college credit toward, if not a certification, in meteorology. I'm looking at Mike Nelson, Kathy Sabin, Dave Aguilera. If this council gig doesn't work, um, I'm coming after your jobs because I may be certified based on these discussions. My friends, there is more work to be done to transition the 1,200 plus residents now from shelter to permanent housing. While sim simultaneously transitioning others struggling with housing instability or that are on the verge of living on house to shelter. I encourage my colleagues, let us be about that work. Let us find local and regional solutions to save more lives and provide the dignity of shelter and housing to all residents. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I, I want to um, ask my colleagues to join me tonight in supporting to override the mayor's veto this evening and be on the side of research-based medical expert-informed policies to keep people safe and from suffering unnecessary medical issues that can impact the rest of their lives. I am very disappointed that the mayor's office at this administration could not come to an agreement and provide language that could perhaps be incorporated to, to address the concerns. If this does not pass, uh, if we are not able to override this veto this evening, I want to echo um, what Councilman Cashman asked for, and that is for the administration to then come put forth a policy that will work for them, and that still uh, serves the purpose of treating people with dignity and humanity when it comes to this issue. Part of our job up here we are the legislative branch. We are the legis legislative branch of the city. And so it is our job to bring forward legislation that can make changes to our current policies. And part of that is working with the departments, working with people who are impacting those that are closest to the pain that are impacted by the said policy. And I saw that happen. I saw it happen on every side. And so I am imploring upon the administration, hearing what we've heard, hearing testimony after testimony, seeing this evidence from our medical experts, why, why we need to look at when people are being moved, when they're being swept in the freezing cold and putting their bodies and their livelihoods at risk. What can we do different as a city? That's what I'm going to ask for. And I also ask again to override the mayor's veto this evening, and I will be supporting that. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Up next, Councilwoman Sandoval. 
Thank you, Madam President. Uh, just want to thank the sponsors again for working on this important piece of legislation that I feel um, keeps our residents safe and keeps our, our public employees safe. I don't think anyone should be out there removing anyone from shelter when it's below freezing. Um, this is what democracy looks like when you have two distinct branches of government in disagreement. So I would also ask that we could get to nine so that we can override the mayor's veto. Um, I'm one of the council members who have been part of this conversation for a long time. I remember first learning about this um, in my first term. And so I'm glad to have the bill sponsors here working on this important piece of legislation. And I just implore all of us to think about all the people who we're talking about, they all have names. I don't know one person up here behind the dais who hasn't been impacted by someone who's experienced homelessness. I had an aunt. My aunt I had to go find on the 16th Street Mall when I was in high school. That's how I knew how to find her. She had addiction issues. And in my culture, in the Latino culture, we don't always see addiction issues like we do cancer. When my dad died of cancer, everyone told me how sorry they were for me and how big of a loss it was. But when my aunt died of alcoholism, no one talked about how it was also an issue. It was similar to cancer. And no one talked to me, no one talked to her grandkids about her loss or her kids. So we have these stigmas on people, and I hope that we can come together as a society and stop that. Because we need, I just want to say, I have never seen Denver more divided. Mm. And it's really hurting me. And I just hope that we can come all together and put our differences aside. And I was born and raised in Denver and become back the beautiful city that we are. Because as we head into November, I'm afraid even more of how more divided we are gonna come in this city. And so I just ask all of us, if you may not agree with the council member who votes up here, offer them some grace and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And after this vote, even if we don't all come together, can we come together on another vote? Because I know council members up here who I may disagree with on this vote, and in five minutes, I'm gonna have to agree with them on another vote. And tomorrow, I might disagree with them in committee about something, and the next day, I might need their help on a vote. And so I just hope that you all can see us in that light and understand that we all have constituents that we have to be accountable for and all of us are being pulled right now up here, all 13 of us, it, in more directions than you can probably imagine personally. And this has been a really tough time, I think on all 13 of us up here. So I just wanna say that as we head into this, into the right now and into our 5.30 session. So please, let's just all come together and have some type of unity, even if we disagree with each other on these votes that are super important. And I just want to say, I see all of you out there. And thank you for showing up today in the chambers. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Hines. Thank you, Council President. And uh, Pro Tem Sandoval, thank you for your words. Um, it's very much uh, what I was going to say as well. Um, but I would say specifically to the mayor, um, you know, we are clearly a uh, divided um, uh, divided amongst the branch of government and divided here in city council. Um, regardless of the, whether the veto is overridden or not, 
Um, I hope to work with you starting tomorrow to uh, define uh, more ways in which we can work together, the different branches of government and, um, and uh, through all the, uh, the people of the city of Denver uh, to make sure that we can come together and, uh, and, and uplift all of those who have fallen on hard times. Thank you. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sawyer. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone who is here tonight and everyone who came to our committee hearings, um, our first vote on this, and to all of our residents who have emailed us um, and engaged in this. This is democracy, right? This is, sometimes it's messy. For sure, we don't agree, and that's okay. This is an important conversation for us to be having, and this is the beauty and the pain of democracy at the same time. Um, I'm sure most of you know I'm not supportive of overriding this veto, but I want to again say thank you to the sponsors for bringing this conversation and bringing this bill. And I want to say to the mayor's office, this is a storage issue. And this is something that is easily fixable. People don't want to access shelter in the cold, which is dangerous for them because they don't want to lose their stuff. And that is something I don't blame them for one bit. That is fixable. That is fixable right now. And so I want to leave everyone with that before this vote, because we should not be in a situation as a city where we are having this conversation. We should have already addressed the lack of storage, the hours, the inaccessibility of the storage, all of those things that make residents not want to get off of our streets when it is dangerous for them. And it is dangerous and inhumane to leave people out in the freezing cold. This is fixable. And so I say to the mayor's office, please fix it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, um, I remain supportive of this bill. Um, I want to thank my co-sponsors, Councilwoman Parody, Councilwoman Lewis, and Councilman Cashman. Um, I continue to believe that moving people uh, from their tent in freezing weather and not being able to move them into shelter that they are willing and able to, uh, to move to is inexcusable as a city. Uh, we need to remember why uh, people don't often go into congregate shelter. Um, maybe they have a spouse who can't go with them. Um, maybe they have a pet that can't go with them. Maybe they are trans and they're not either comfortable or safe in that congregate shelter. We all prefer everyone to be indoors um, on, the few, on the few days when it's freezing all day. Why can't we say, we will wait a few more days until it warms up? Why can't we say that? We can still do outreach while they're there. Uh, the mayor actually agrees with us on this issue. In his letter, he says, I want to make clear that we have not nor intend to do large encumbrance removals when the temperature is 32 degrees or below without housing or shelter options, with the exception to major public health and safety risks. So he actually agrees, and yet contends that it is because of public health and safety risks that he cannot allow this bill to become law. 
Um, and so I take issue with that piece. In the mayor's letter, he contends that this bill restricts his ability to close encampments due to public health and safety risks. It does not. It specifically allows for that. It specifically offers that off-ramp um, and, and, and asks our public health department to make public health decisions, to make a decision that says, for the city, when the danger is frostbite or loss of life, we are still gonna move because something else is more urgent. I need our public health department to say that. I don't need our transportation department to say that. So this is, this is the issue. One of the other concerns raised was, and I agree with this, we don't wanna lose ground after seeing over a thousand people offered shelter that they wanted to move into. And I don't wanna lose that ground either. Um, the monthly weather predictor for February, for March, for April, we're likely to see maybe one day under 32 degrees overall. So this bill is not locking us into something irre irrecoverable in the next several months. What passage of this bill locks us into is a forced conversation with the administration on what we can fix. What makes this bill more tenable for departments to actually administer it? We can actually come to the table over the next several months and make sure this works for the group. And sponsors have been willing to do that since August of last year when we started talking about this language. This is not a locked up and closed conversation. It is constantly evolving. And we don't have days that will threaten the city's um, ability to move folks indoors for the rest of this winter. Um, so I just wanna say that particularly for my colleagues who maybe were on the fence, voted no, weren't quite sure, had other questions. We have the time to do that, but we have to have the administration at the table with us tweaking this bill, wordsmithing this bill, offering to amend this bill, we are still willing to do that. So I do ask my colleagues to reconsider their no vote and vote yes in favor of this uh, veto override tonight. Um, Madam Secretary, thank you all. And council members, just to remember, we need um, nine affirmative votes um, for the um, adoption of this motion. Madam Secretary, roll call please. Alvidas? No. Flynn? Mary. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? No. Cash Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Nay. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? No. Watson? No. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, please close the voting and announce the results. Six nays, seven ayes. Seven ayes, six nays. The motion to override the veto on Council Bill 23-1960 has failed. Council Bill 21-1182 uh, has successfully been vetoed. Um, before we move on to the next item, um, I wanna thank you all for being here and the work doesn't stop. So thank you so much. There are no proclamations being read this afternoon. Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. From the Finance and Governance Committee. Hang on, Shannon. Nope, we're moving on. Absolutely not, we are moving on. Thank you very much for being here. Jerry. 
Jerry, we need you to leave chambers. The bill has been voted on, folks. The bill has been voted on. We have to be able to move on with the meeting. Thank you. Go ahead, Shannon. From the Finance and Governance Committee 24-0101, a bill for an ordinance making a cash transfer from the Risk Management Special Revenue Fund 11838 to the Capital Improvement Claims Settlement Fund 38434 and making an appropriation from the Capital Improvement Shannon, go ahead. From the Finance and Governance Committee 24-0101, a bill for an ordinance making a cash transfer from the Risk Management Special Revenue Fund 11838 to the Capital Improvement Set Claims Settlement Fund 38434 and making an appropriation in the Capital Improvement Claims Settlement Fund. 24-0103, a bill for an ordinance authorizing expenditures in the Human Services Re Special Revenue Fund based on a letter of intent from the state of Colorado to award funding to the city and county of Denver for the Community Services Block Grant CSBG program for the 2024 program year. From the Land Use, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee 23-1880, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed first amendment to the development agreement between the city and county of Denver, ACM High Point 6C LLC and Bottling Group LLC. 24-0084, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 1160 South Yates Street in Marley. 24-0090, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 1410 South Humboldt Street in Washington Park. From the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee, 24-0083, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed agreement between the City and County of Denver and Denver Health and Hospital Authority to provide the expansion of medication-assisted treatment, MAT services in Denver County Jail and Downtown Detention Center in Council Districts 8 and 10. Thank you, Shannon. Council members, um, thank you, Madam Secretary. Council members, this is your last opportunity to call out an item. Uh, Councilwoman Lewis, will you make the motions for us tonight? Yes, Council President Joyce. Thank you. I'll do a recap under resolutions. Councilwoman Sawyer has called out uh, bill, uh, resolution 24-0094, and Councilwoman Gilmore has called out 23-0722. Under bills for introduction, no items have been called out. Under bills for final consideration, no items have been called out. Under pending, no items have been called out. Madam Secretary, will you please put the first bill on our screens, 24-0094, an agreement between Big Compass LLC. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put resolution 0094 on the floor for adoption? I move that council resolution 24-0094 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. I called this out to, for a vote. Um, this is an on-call contract from Tech Services. For three and a half years, I have been voting no on every on-call contract that goes through the city. And the reason for that is because there is no back-end reporting mm. to council on how those dollars are used, none. In the last three and a half years, almost every city agency has started reporting on the back-end, particularly Dottie, the airport, and Parks and Rec. Uh, and DDPHE. So I want to acknowledge those different um, agencies within the city and county of Denver that have seen that my concern and have responded to it. 
tech services inexplicably does not see the need to report their on-call contracts quarterly to city council. And so once again, I will be voting no on this. And I urge my fellow council members to vote no as well, because it has been three and a half years. This is not a mistake. This is a choice from this city agency not to report quarterly to council on their um, on-call usages, and that is not okay. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call on resolution 24-0094. I'll read the rest. Aye. Lynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Nay. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Nay. Parody? Nay. Romero Campbell? Nay. Sandoval? No. Sawyer? Nope. Watson? Nay. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Eight nays, five ayes. Five ayes, eight nays. Council resolution 24-0094 has failed. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. This is uh, resolution 0722. A grant agreement between the City of Denver and Montbello Organizing Committee. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put resolution 23-0722 on the floor for adoption? I move that Council Resolution 23-0722 be adopted. Thank you so much. And that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of Council. We'll start with Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. Uh, there have been updates to this project team and Gilmore Construction was named as one of the construction firms that have been chosen and therefore I will abstain on this affordable housing development since that's my brother-in-law's company. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else, thank you. Madam Secretary, roll call and resolution 23-0722. Alvizras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Abstain. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes, one abstain. Council Resolution 23-0722 has been adopted. All bills for introduction are ordered published. Council members, remember this is a consent or block vote and you'll need to vote aye. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put the resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor? I move that the resolutions be adopted and bills on final consideration be placed upon final consideration and do pass on the block for the following items. 240097, 240098, 2400998, 2400199, 2400100, 2400107, 2400109, 24085, 24086, 24092, 24104, 
Thank you so much. And that's been moved Thanks. and seconded. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Alvizras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. The resolutions have been adopted and the bills have been placed upon final consideration and do pass. Tonight, uh, there will be a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-1989, changing the zoning classification for 3150 West Scott Place in Berkeley. A required public hearing on Bill 1985, 23-1985, changing the zoning classification for 21, excuse me, 4120 North Federal Boulevard in Sunnyside, and a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-1987, changing the zoning classification for 6173, 75, 87, and 95 North Lincoln Street in Spear. Anyone wishing to speak on any of these matters should go online, sign up during the recess of council. If there are, any, if there are no objections from members of council, we'll recess until 5.30. Before reconvening the regular meeting, council provides a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for one scheduled for a legally required public hearing. The general public comment session will begin at five o'clock. Council will now reconvene from our early session. Um, we will start with uh, uh, two proclamations. Councilman Hines, will you please read Proclamation 24-0147? Proclamation 24-0147, uh, proclamation signifying Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Whereas the month of February signifies Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, an annual campaign recognized nationally in 2013 to highlight this important issue and provide pre prevention efforts for survivors in our community. And whereas dating violence does not discriminate with one in three adolescents reporting an experience of dating violence before they become adults and with vast underreporting of dating violence across regions, or excuse me, across ages. And whereas dating violence incidents continue to rise, increasing the need for services and with teens who experience dating violence being more likely to struggle in school, develop mental health issues, turn to substance misuse, and engage in unhealthy relationships. And whereas everyone has a right to feel safe, education on healthy relationships for all ages is crucial for preventing future incidents of violence, along with strong support from the community, sending a powerful message that dating violence will not be tolerated. And whereas, 86% of teens in a violent relationship would confide in a peer rather than a trusted adult. And of those, only 33% ever follow through with reporting. And LGBTQIA plus teens at higher risk of dating violence and facing more barriers to care. And where, oh, thank you. Uh, whereas 
1.5 million teens across the U.S. are physically abused by their dating partner each year, and 20% of all domestic violence fatalities in Colorado had a victim 26 years old or younger. This demonstrates the need for safe, tailored youth resources. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver, Section 1, that the Council of the City and County of Denver hereby recognizes February as Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Section 2, that the Clerk of the City and County of Denver shall affix the seal of the City and County of Denver to this proclamation and that a copy be transmitted to Heather Schreck of Safe House Denver. Thank you, Councilman Hines. Your motion to adopt? I move that we adopt proclamation. I apologize. What was the number? 147. Uh, I move that we adopt proclamation number 147. Thank you so much. And that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. And we have um, four co-sponsors of this proclamation. Uh, Councilman Hines, Parody, Sawyer, and Gonzalez Gutierrez. We'll start with Councilman Hines. Uh, thank you, Council President. I read the proclamation and I'll uh, defer to my co-sponsors for the comments. Thank, thank you. you. Councilwoman Parody. I'm sorry. Let me go in queue here on. No, it's okay. Thing. Councilwoman Parody can go. You good? Okay. Yep. Councilwoman Parody. Yeah, I just wanted to say that one of the things that's been the most striking since being on council is um, learning how much we're seeing increases of violence among our children. Um, I'm scared up here every single day about the gun epidemic. I'm scared for what that um, means um, for teenagers all across our city, and I'm scared about what that means in intimate relationships. Um, so I don't have a lot to say beyond what's in the proclamation itself, except that I'm glad that we're marking the month. Um, and I think that one of the, one of the things we we need to undertake on council is to think about how all of our interlocking policies are um, putting our kids at risk of that kind of violence. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. I wanna thank uh, my co-sponsors um, for bringing this forward, especially Councilmember Hines and Parity. I really appreciate um, the conversations we have had and Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, I wanna steal your thunder. I know you're a teenage parent too. Um, I feel very, very strongly about this proclamation because I see the violence happening with our teenagers every single day because I have teenagers. And I know the kinds of things that my daughters face, the kinds of text messages they have received from the people who they thought loved them, um, the kinds of Instagram and Snapchat comments that get made to them regularly. It is scary out there for our teenagers. And what I fear most is that they are gonna grow up in a world thinking that this is normal. Thinking that the kinds of things that get said to them or the kinds of things that get asked of them via social media in particular is normal. And it isn't. It is forms of violence against our teenagers. We need to talk about this more we need to talk about this and, and, and not pretend that it's not happening. And so um, I just wanna thank all of my council members and ask for your support in this. I wanna thank my co-sponsors for bringing this forward. Um, and I want to keep those teenagers, including my own in mind and at the forefront um, because they are growing up in a world where violence towards them is so normalized that they don't know the difference anymore. And that is not okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. 
Thank you, Madam President. Um, I want to thank Council Councilman Hines and Councilman Parity for um, asking Councilman Sawyer and I to join along in this proclamation, knowing that we have kiddos in this age group. And um, you know, this is this is also personal, right? The fact that I have a middle schooler and a high schooler, um, and you know, we see that violent violent uh, behavior in dating relationships often begins between sixth and twelfth grade, and seventy two percent of thirteen and fourteen year olds report that they are dating. Um, you know, I think it's important that we bring awareness to this, that we have regular conversations with our children uh, about what is healthy and what is respectful. So I am glad to be a part of this and um, lift this up alongside my colleagues. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Alvitras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Oh, sorry, Lewis? Aye. Oh, your mic on. Parody? Yeah. Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Uh, Proclamation 24-0147 has been adopted. Um, Councilman Hines and co-sponsors, do we have somebody to accept the proclamation? Um, we are fully occupied or fully packed here, but I don't know if Ms. Heather Shrek is here or in one of the overflow rooms. Sheriff, will you see if Heather Shrek is in the overflow room? Did you recognize her here earlier? I, I, there have been so many people here. I'm apologize that I so no. okay. did not see okay. her. If we can't find her, we'll move on. Not online. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, uh, I know we have a lot of business to, um, yeah, thank you. Let's just move forward. Okay, we'll do that. Thank you so much for um, sponsoring the proclamation. Uh, we will move on. Councilwoman Parity, uh, will you please read Proclamation 24-0006? Thank you, Council President. I will do that with Councilmember Lewis. Can we get started? Do we need to move to adopt? Okay, sorry. You're good. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, whereas the city and county the City Council of the City and County of Denver recognizes that all lives are precious and that Palestinian lives and Israeli lives have the same value and the same protection under international law. And whereas on October 7th of 2023, at least 1,139 people in Israel, including 36 children, were killed. At least 253 people, including at least 35 children, were taken hostage, of whom up to 134 remain hostages to this day, and at least 4,800 people were injured. And since October 7th of 2023, over 28,000 Palestinian people, including over 12,000 children, have been killed, one child every 15 minutes. Over 8,000 Palestinian people are missing and presumed dead. Over 70,000 Palestinian people in Gaza and the West Bank have been injured, and some 19,000 Palestinian children have lost parents or caregivers. And whereas 60% of housing units 
64% of hospitals and 70% of civilian infrastructure in Gaza have been destroyed, and 1.2 million children in Gaza are now at risk of experiencing starvation. And whereas many members of our Denver community have family and friends who live in Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank and have deep connections in that region, including many who have lost loved ones there. Whereas the United Nations Children Fund, UNICEF, is the world's leading voice for the survival and rights of children and has made the following calls to action. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver. Section one, that the Council of the City and County of Denver calls for an immediate and long-lasting humanitarian ceasefire in Palestine and Israel. Section two, that the Council of the City and County of Denver calls for safe and unrestricted human Human, humanitarian access to and within the Gaza Strip to reach affected populations wherever they are. Section three, that the Council of the City and County of Denver calls for the immediate, safe, and unconditional release of all abducted people and an end to any grave violations against all people, including killing and maiming of children. Section four, that the Council of the City and County of Denver calls for respect and protection for civilian infrastructure, such as shelters and schools, and health, electric, water, sanitation, and telecommunications facilities to prevent loss of civilian and children's lives, outbreaks of diseases, and to provide care to the sick and wounded, and for all parties to the conflict to respect international humanitarian law. In section five, that the clerk of the city and county of Denver shall affix the seal of the city and county of Denver to this proclamation and that copies be transmitted to the offices of U.S. Representative Diana DeGette, U.S. Representative Jonah Goose, U.S. Representative Lauren Babert, U.S. Representative Ken Buck, U.S. Representative Doug Lamborn, U.S. Representative Jason Crow, U.S. Representative Brittany Pedersen, U.S. Representative Yadira Caraveo, U.S. Senator Michael Bennett, U.S. Senator John Hickenlooper, U.S. President Joe Biden, and U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, urging them to take immediate action to accomplish these goals. Thank you both, and that's been let me see. Oh, Councilwoman Parity, your motion to adopt. Thank you, Council President. I move that resolution 24-0006 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. We'll start with comments before we vote. Uh, we'll start with uh, the co-sponsors, Councilwoman Parity, then Lewis. Yeah, thank you, Council President. Um, I wanna quote a few Palestinian voices that we heard in our chambers last Monday. Not all of Council was present then, and not everyone listening tonight was present then. Um, Basil, Basil Saba is from District 8. Um, he came in front of us last week and said, I speak in the name of 50,000 pregnant women who are having their children in bombed out homes and on the street with no medical care, clean water, or electricity. I speak for the Palestinians who live in Denver and have lost hundreds of their family members. I assure you it is time for you to speak just as 50 other cities have. Gaza is a piece of land approximately 20 miles long and five miles wide. If you overlay Gaza on Denver, it would run from downtown Golden to downtown Aurora with the width of I-70 to 6th Avenue. And inside this land, you would have the density of New York City. Now imagine that you dropped the equivalent of three Hiroshima bombs on this area and killed or maimed half the children in the Denver public school system, half the children in the DPS system. Now imagine you use those bombs and tanks to destroy the majority of homes and apartments in Denver and violently move a million Denverites to Aurora starving every member of the city. I'm calling on you to speak. Rami Abdul Suleiman, who comes from District 10, um, said, he talked about the days after October 7th, and he said, I could not bring myself to post or speak publicly. I feared for my job as the sole source of income for my family. I was afraid of being labeled an anti-Semite. 
I was afraid of re-traumatizing my Jewish friends who were horrified by seeing so many Jews killed in the land that they were told was the place they were safe. It's okay to be afraid, I told myself. Um, but then he talks about seeing a pa Palestinian friend who was able to come to the United States uh, for his wife to give birth to premature twins and how they realized that those twins um, would not likely have survived if they had remained in Gaza. And he goes on, it was Omar's first time being in the US and he was shocked at the level of indifference, how everyone seemed to just carry on. I confided that I was scared to speak up publicly and I told him I can't do it. Um, I could tell that hurt him and that I'd let him down. So the next day, my wife and I decided that we needed to harness our fear, hold our heads high to save free Palestine to anyone who would listen. Finally, we heard from Mohammed Kaziz. He's a pediatrician who lives in District 5, and he says, I love my job. I get to heal and care for the children of Colorado and watch them smile and play. However, children in Gaza and the child hostages from Israel have had no such privilege. Uh, today, when he was speaking, marks day 122 of this conflict. While there's no justification for the acts unleashed on the Israeli people on October 7th, similarly, there's no justification for the horror unleashed on the captive civilian population of Gaza. Gaza is a small enclave of 25 miles by three miles, and it's home to 2.2 million people, over 60% of whom are children. So far, approximately 35,000 people, and specifically 13,000 children, have been massacred in the failed invasion of Gaza. While the stated purpose of the invasion was to destroy Hamas and free the hostages, so far, as of the day he spoke, zero hostages have been freed due to military action, and Hamas continues to exist. When, we will, when will we admit that this campaign has failed? It has turned into collective punishment of a captive population. It has destroyed over 70% of the homes in Gaza, led to mass starvation, and to what the UN has called a graveyard for children. Mm. Gaza is now the most dangerous place in the world to be a child. While we have written to our elected officials and protested and appealed to our president to call for a ceasefire, or at the very least not to provide US arms to further this genocide, our calls have fallen on deaf ears. And so now I turn to you, our representatives of the city of Denver to call for a ceasefire, to help promote practical solutions to ensure peace in the future for the children of Gaza and the safe return of hostages. Since Mohammed spoke, um, two out of the over 100 remaining hostages were released by military force yesterday. The only hostages to be released throughout this entire military campaign, um, and three have been directly shot by Israeli troops. The Immigrant and Refugee Affairs Commission of Denver, joined by the American Indian Commission, the LGBTQ Commission, the African American Commission, and the AAPI Commission, wrote us a letter this week, um, and they said, the events of the past weeks have pushed us to the brink of a humanitarian catastrophe and the world cannot afford to wait. Civilians are not pawns in a political game. Families deserve the chance to bury and mourn their loved ones, access basic human necessities and exist without the shadow of death looming. The violence against innocent civilians must cease. So having considered the words of those Denverites, I now wanna be really specific about the scale of death and destruction that we're talking about and why I feel there is no moral argument for remaining silent about the continuing siege of Gaza and our own role in it. CNN did an analysis of satellite imagery um, after the first month or so of this war. And this is what they learned. Satellite imagery from those early days of the war reveals more than 500 impact craters over 40 feet in diameter, consistent with those left behind by 2,000 pound bombs. Those are four times heavier than the largest bombs the United States dropped on ISIS in Mosul, Iraq, during the war against the extremist group there. The US dropped a 2,000 bomb, pound bomb only once during its fight against ISIS, the most recent Western war on a militant group. Um, that was the bombing of Raqqa in Syria, um, which ISIS had declared its capital. And that bombing at the time was severely criticized as disproportionate and illegal by human rights watchdogs. That was one 2,000 pound bomb. 500 of those have been dropped on the Gaza Strip in a four month period. 
um, going back to quoting the CNN analysis, weapons and warfare experts blame the extensive use of heavy munitions, such as the 2,000-pound bomb, for the soaring death toll. The population of Gaza is packed together much more tightly than almost anywhere else on Earth. So the use of such heavy munitions has a pr profound effect. The use, and now this is a quote from John Chappelle, an advocacy and legal fellow at Civic, which is a DC nonprofit that focuses on minimizing civilian harm and conflict. He says the use of 2,000 pound bombs in an area as densely populated as Gaza means it will take decades for communities to recover. Back to quoting CNN, the heavy munitions are mostly manufactured by the US. They can cause high casualty events, that's a euphemism, and can have a lethal fragmenta fragmentation radius or an area of exposure to death around the target of up to 1,200 feet, which is 58 soccer fields in area. A former State Department advisor um, who was the senior advisor on civilian harm named Larry Lewis said that one particular strike in Jabalia was something we would never see the US doing. That's a quote from him. It certainly appears, this is quoting Mr. Lewis, that Israel's tolerance for civilian harm compared to expected operational benefits is significantly different than what we would accept as the US. And finally, um, that's the, my, the end of the quotes from the CNN article. The New York Times notes that as of the end of December, quote, since October, the United States has sent more than 5,000 MK-84 munitions, which are 2,000 pound bombs to Israel. We have shipped 5,000 of those in the past four months that we paid for with our tax dollars. So these are bombs that we would not ourselves drop on a city um, even in a conflict of which we are shipping 5,000 in just three months to a conflict occurring only in one of the most populated areas on earth. This is unprecedented and we are able to understand that fact. I wanna quote one additional article. It was an investigation into power targets that was done by 972 and Local Call. Those are two um, independent journalistic outfits of very high integrity. Um, their reporting was based on conversations with seven current and former members of Israel's intelligence community including military intelligence and Air Force personnel who were involved in Israeli operations in the Gaza Strip. Quote from that article, the Israeli army's expanded authorization for bombing non-military targets, the loosening of constraints regarding expected civilian casualties, and the use of an artificial intelligence system to generate more potential targets than, any, than ever before appear to have contributed to the destructive nature of the initial stages of Israel's current war on the Gaza Strip. Compared to previous Israeli attacks on Gaza, the current war has seen the army significantly expanding its bombing of targets that are not distinctly military in nature. These include private residences, as well as public buildings, infrastructure, and high-rise apartment blocks, which sources say the army defines as, quote, power targets. The bombing of power targets, according to intelligence sources who had firsthand experience with its application in Gaza in the past, is mainly intended to harm Palestinian civil society, to, quote, create a shock, close quote, that's from a source, that among other things will reverberate powerfully and quote, lead civilians to put pressure on Hamas as one source put it. According to the investigation, this is again quoting this article, another reason for the large number of targets and the extensive harm to civilian life in Gaza is the widespread use of an artificial intelligence system that can generate targets almost automatically at a rate that far exceeds what was previously possible. The AI system as described by a former intelligence officer essentially facilitates a mass assassination factory. According to the sources, the increasing use of AI-based systems allows the army to carry out strikes on residential homes where a single Hamas member lives on a massive scale, even those who are junior Hamas operatives. In the majority of cases, sources added, military activity is not conducted from these targeted homes. Quote, I remember thinking that it was like if Palestinian militants would bomb all the private residences of our families when Israeli soldiers go back to sleep at home on the weekend, one source who was critical of this practice recalled. Testimonies of Palestinians in Gaza also suggest that since October 7th, 
the army has attacked many private residences where there was no known or apparent member of Hamas or any other militant group residing. Such strikes, sources confirmed, can knowingly kill entire families in the process. Um, so the scope of death and destruction in Gaza led the International Court of Justice to enter a preliminary order. This is similar to a preliminary injunction in American law, and it's something that that court only does in extraordinary circumstances. That court, by the way, is an extremely distinguished international body made up of many of the leading jurists from their respective companies, countries. Um, and that order recognized that there is sufficient evidence of a risk of genocide that the court urgently needed to order preventative measures while the case was pending. Again, this is unusual. It is true, as one of my colleagues has pointed out, that the court did not order a ceasefire. The language of ceasefire does not in appear within the international legal instruments that it oversees. Rather, it oversees the Genocide Convention. And it did order immediate humanitarian aid and for Israel to ensure that its military does not commit genocide. Um, which is a finding the court will reach in due course after um, examination of the evidence. The court, um, quoting from that opinion, the court recalls that, and th this is a definition, genocide is a denial of the right of existence of entire human groups, just as homicide is the denial of the right to life of individual human beings. Such denial of the right of existence shocks the conscience of mankind, results in great losses to humanity in the form of cultural and other contributions represented by these human groups, and is contrary to moral law and to the spirit and aims of the United Nations. The court takes note, um, for instance, of the letter dated 6 December 2023, whereby the Secretary General of the United Nations brought the following information to the attention of the Security Council, quote from the UN, quoted within the ICJ opinion. The healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Amid constant bombardment by the Israeli Defense Forces and without shelter or the essentials to survive, I expect public order to completely break down soon due to the desperate conditions, rendering even limited humanitarian assistance impossible. An even worse situation could unfold, including epidemic diseases and increased pressure for mass displacement into neighboring countries. We're facing a severe risk of collapse of the humanitarian system and the situation is deteriorating into a catastrophe with potentially irreversible implications for Palestinians as a whole and for peace and security in the region. With regard to specific intent um, to commit genocide, the ICJ also made preliminary findings justifying its orders. Um, it quoted uh, ministers in, within Israel saying, I've released all restraints, that's the defense minister, because we are fighting human anim animals, saying, quote, president of Israel, it is an entire nation out there that's responsible. Um, and another quote from the Minister of Infrastructure, they will not receive a drop of water or a single battery until they leave the world. So since that order on January 26th, the killing has continued, delivery of aid has not improved, the humanitarian situation has deteriorated even further, and Israel has now begun bombing in Rafah, the area just north of Egypt, where 1.4 million people are sheltering after having been ordered by the Israeli army to evacuate areas to the north prior to previous waves of bombing. Um, the current state of affairs is making no one safer. What happened on October 7th was a crime against humanity. It was an attack of intentional brutality meant to terrorize and reflective of a view that Jewish people are not human. Yes, it was also a violation of international law. Um, and from that trauma has come what I take to be the primary objection to this resolution, which is a cry that if given the chance, Hamas would wipe out Israel. The fear of destruction that comes from generations of pogroms and indeed the Holocaust itself, the fear that somehow by saying cease fire, we are really advocating for death and destruction in Israel, and the fear that only wiping out Gaza can protect Israel. In that view, there's no future other than endless war. The only possible course is to wipe Palestine off the map. The outcome is entirely zero sum, 
And it ultimately, that view holds that only one of these peoples can survive into the future. I entirely reject that. I demand my national government to reject that, and I'm pleading with my colleagues to do the same. It is a false premise that giving people their freedom and self-determination will lead to more killing. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, that is a way of saying that Palestinians are something less than human and concluding that they are somehow the only people on earth who prefer a future of violence and destruction. It conflates the Palestinian people with Hamas, a terror group that has not faced an election in decades and has been propped up and enabled by the government of Israel in an attempt to divide the leadership of Gaza and the West Bank and undermine a peaceful Palestinian state. At some point, the world and the US, which has tremendous power in Israel and Palestine, has to say that Palestinians do deserve a state, self-determination, an end to occupation, an end to the continued annexation and theft of their land and homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. And at some point, we also have to say that we will stand up for international law, which absolutely prohibits attacks on civilians like that of 10-7, and also prohibits the collective punishment of a civilian population. International law applies to to every military, even when another party to the conflict has itself broken the rules. Um, and we distinguish between civilians and combatants. That distinction is one of the most hard won and crucial rules of our international order. We have struggled for the last century to rein in armed conflict with ever higher stakes. If we want the protections of international law to have any meaning and to be there for any of us, if and when we need them, we have to speak for that across the board, as we did for Ukraine just this past spring in a proclamation sponsored by Councilman Flynn and passed unanimously unanimously by this body in which we recognize that Russia was committing war crimes through targeting of civilians, that Russia was attacking civilian targets, including prisons, hospitals, apartment buildings, and shopping centers, that Russian troops had abducted journalists, um, and that at that time, 1,100 civilians had been killed in Ukraine. Councilwoman? Yeah. Um, I need to say a word about anti-Semitism. Um, I know that that is real and that it is on the rise in our country and in our city. Um, I see everything from Holocaust denial to false flag truthers speaking about um, the events of October 7th. Um, I have heard from people in the city about bomb threats and about the fear that they feel. In the United States, that does not come principally from our Arab and Muslim communities. It's actually deep within our majority culture. It's a feature of white supremacy. And Muslims and Arabs also experience bigotry in the United States. And at this moment, they feel that our silence is a reflection of that bigotry. To those who spoke earlier, this is not a room that's filled with hatred for you. This is a room that is filled with grief. Public bodies refusing to acknowledge that our Palestinian constituents are suffering and that our government is uniquely positioned to end that suffering does nothing to end anti-Semitism. I am here today to say that the killing in Gaza must stop, and I will be here tomorrow to say that we have to grapple with resurgent anti-Semitism and the fomentation of bigotry in our politics. Security and human rights for Palestinians and for Israelis and all Jewish people, whether among both diasporas or back home in Israel and Palestine, go hand in hand. And it is time for our U.S. government to stand for that truth. Stop the bombing, get the hostages home, end Hamas's disastrous rule of Gaza, fund peace instead of war, do whatever is necessary to rebuild the lives of the deeply traumatized people of the Gaza Strip, and turn toward the, towards the project of a political two-state solution, which means no more settlements, no more political prisoners, and an end to the occupation. To my colleagues, if you feel a lack of clarity about what is happening in Gaza, I invite you to simply record an abstention tonight. But I hope that each one of you will instead stand up for what is right and what our Palestinian constituents and many of our Jewish ones so desperately need us to speak for. The end of 129 days of bombing, the release of those held captive for that same 129 days, and immediate food and medical aid to end the massive suffering of virtually all civilians in Gaza. Thank you. Thank you very much. Council, Councilwoman Lewis. 
Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you, Councilwoman Parity. For months, I've talked with our neighbors about Gaza, about Palestine, and about the US involvement in Israel's world, not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Palestine. It is for us that we come together now in Black History Month to speak on a proclamation that involves not just Black Muslims and Black Jews, Black Palestinians and Black Israelis, but indeed Black Coloradans and all Americans. February 2024 gives us 29 days when Americans celebrate the accomplishments of Black Americans, even as we acknowledge that all our wins are born from surviving enslavement. Generations of political violence codified a permanent underclass status for African-Americans. Laws were passed, codes enacted, statutes codified to entrench blackness as a position of inferiority in America. And still, we rise. We know now our history. We who tell the truth, we acknowledge this nation with its hundreds of years of experience growing from exploitation towards equity. We see the parallels in our past and present and that of Palestine. One thing that has consistently bought me pause, full stop, is the suggestion that an international crisis does not affect us here in Denver. As the residents of our city with family in, in the crisis zone, all while we feel the effects of a geopolitical crisis in Venezuela on our streets as though decisions made on the other side of the world don't affect our city. People tell members of council that this conversation belongs only on the international level. Forgetting that, unlike the economy in the 1980s, the American government is trickled up. What is decided at the city level is reflected at the state level and again at the federal level. The work has to begin as close to the people as possible. And this work comes from the people. Our constituents have marched, have written, have called, have cried, and have organized, demanding that the city and county of Denver join other US cities, which have been adopting resolutions in support of a ceasefire in this conflict. I have heard from and held space with representatives from across the cultural and religious spectrum. Jewish voices, from Jewish voices for Peace, the Denver Immigration and Refugees Commission, the Denver, African, the Denver American Indian Commission, the Denver LGBTQ Plus Commission, the Denver African American Commission, the Denver AAPI Commission, the Colorado Palestine Coalition, religious leaders and community members and our neighbors. The decision was not made lightly, nor for an uninformed place. Our modern world should be one rooted in peace and prosperity for every person. Today, the only remaining hospitals in Gaza are running out of fuel and medical supplies. Their public utilities are shutting down and 2 million Palestinians are facing further displacement, rampant homelessness, uncontrollable disease outbreaks, and imminent starvation. The United Nations humanitarian chief characterizes Gaza as a place of death and despair. We need a permanent ceasefire in Palestine, 
coupled with active steps taken towards diplomatic, compassionate resolution. We need to call for it coast to coast in one unified voice. The eradication of a population cannot be witnessed in silence. Every person has a responsibility to say, stop. Experts reports that the rate of civilian deaths in the region is outpacing those of all other conflict zones combined throughout the 21st century. That's unconscious. The unconscionable October 7th Hamas attack against Israel left almost 1,200 people dead, the majority civilians. At least 28,000 Palestinians, disproportionately women and children, have been killed. The more than 10,000 Palestinian children killed in this conflict is greater than the yearly global totals for children killed in conflict zones for the past four years combined, as reported by the United Nations. It is time for us to say enough is enough and pass this ceasefire. The ceasefire is the floor. We are asking for liberation. If ceasefire is the floor, liberation is the ceiling. None of us are free until all of us are free. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Councilman Cashman. Uh, thank you, Madam President. I want to thank everybody um, on all sides of this discussion for coming down this evening. Um, I've been speaking out and uh, marching for peace and social justice for almost 60 years. That, that is my truth. Uh, I believe I stand in solidarity with some Jews, uh, certainly not all. I believe I stand in solidarity with some Palestinians, certainly not all. Again, um, my life as a Jew is worth no more than the life of, of a Palestinian, and it is worth no less. Uh, the loss of life in Israel and Gaza is horrific. It has gone from ought to stop to must stop. I've contacted my congressional representatives and ask them to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire. Yeah, hold, hold off. You're not all going to be all that happy. Again, that's just my truth. I've called on them to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Israel and Gaza that would include at the least a delivery of massive international humanitarian aid and reconstruction dollars to Gaza, the return of all political prisoners, captives, hostages on all sides to their home communities, the establishment of a self-ruled homeland for Palestinians as there is for Israelis, the immediate removal of Hamas from any position of rule in Gaza or elsewhere. And I also suggested Benjamin Netanyahu 
needs to turn over the reins of leadership in Israel to make a lasting peace more possible. Unfortunately, the proclamation under consideration does not adequately consider uh, those elements for a ceasefire that will be anywhere near permanent. If I should march for peace in Gaza, I will hold my own sign that expresses my needs for what I believe will lead to a permanent peace. A continuation of this war is in no one's best interest, not, not for Israelis and certainly not for those trapped in Gaza. The continuing loss of life is simply over the top and must stop. I urge all of you to contact your congressional representatives and express your thoughts for exactly what your needs are. Regardless of which side you are on, I will continue to call for peace for you and all your loved ones. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilman Watson. Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Uh, as elected officials, we have the responsibility to fight for issues important to us and that we believe are important to our constituents and residents of Denver. Yes, international issues like war and conflicts are within the purview of the Denver City Council. Our constituents do expect to hear our thoughts of what we believe on these issues. It is even more important that when I or we bring those issues forward as a council proclamation, that we go about the process to seek ways to bring communities together on those issues and not to continue to exacerbate the, the divisions that exist within us, uh, perceived and real. This proclamation has brought forward emotions from residents on every side of this issue, crying out for answers to the deaths of family members and relatives and folks that they know that are close to them. I have listened to community members who share horrifying stories of how this war is directly impacting their individual family members here in Denver, and for some, their extended family members in Gaza and Israel, as this conflict spreads throughout the Middle East. This discussion is often phrased as an us versus them. Division is sometimes intoxicating. Our tendency at times to lean into whatever divides or blinds us instead of to the many things that we agree on. That is sometimes our inclination. I've heard both Palestinians and Israelis here in this chamber speak of their desire for peace and an end of this war and the end to policies that will indeed lead to the next in a long series of wars in this region. As a council member, I sit here tonight and listen to the voices in this room and listened to the voices over the last several months. I agree with my colleagues on this dais that state that this proclamation does not get us to where folks hope that it will. This proclamation creates, hey, and I understand that there are folks who don't agree with me. Um, and similarly, as I've sat and listened to you, I, I appreciate the opportunity for you to listen to a voice that may not agree with you, and that is fine. I do not agree with this proclamation. I will not vote for this proclamation in support of it. 
I will continue to work with community members on all sides of this issue that are seeking peace in the Middle East. I thank you. Folks, if you can't, if you can't let the council members speak, I'm gonna ask you to go into the hallway. I think the unfortunate thing that we've seen, not just in Denver, but across the country, that there seems to be one truth on this issue. And I say, and I stand, sit here and say, there are many. I do not support his proclamation. I thank folks for bringing forward their thoughts and their ideas. And I thank the council members for bringing, beginning this discussion. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Councilwoman. Hey. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam President. We don't have to get to a vote at all. I, I'm gonna ask everyone that we all listen to each other with respect. I'm a little bit disappointed because, you know, civil discourse is fine, but we're here to have this conversation from a place of respect. That's what I'm here to do. And, and I'd like to, and I'd like to share some words. There may be things that people don't like. There might be things that people do like. But I'd like your, the respect of being heard because I sit here and I listen to community. And I also did not just sit in this chamber and listen to community, but I had many conversations with community outside of these walls. So I'm asking for the respect in turn, please. There are community members here in Denver that are impacted by what is happening overseas, and that is evident. Community members on both sides, both Israeli and Palestinian, and both are people that are part of our Denver community. And I've heard from those community members, including people that I know personally. I don't think that calling for a ceasefire is, is about an or. It is an and. We can say that we want to stop the killing of Palestinian civilians, and we can say that we want the hostages brought home and do not wish to wipe the Israeli people from this earth. Those, both of those things can be true. I'm asking for an end to the attack on humanity. I'm asking to stop the killing so that we do not repeat history and the unfortunate cycles of the past of nearly wiping out a people from this earth. I value that Israelis have the right to exist. And both things can be true. Stopping the killing of innocent Palestinian lives and value the life of, of Israelis and Jewish people. This is why I am supporting this proclamation tonight. In the... In the many conversations that I've had over the last several weeks and months, I wanna share some things that I've heard because I think it's important to lift up what, is, what I'm hearing and fears that I'm hearing on both sides of this issue. I've heard Jewish people tell me their fear for increased anti-Semitism due to the things like this proclamation, that a perceived bilateral ceasefire is really only one way because Hamas will not ceasefire because there was a ceasefire in place on October 6th. 
I am just telling you these things that I've heard and what has been in my consideration. So please respect. And I have also heard from people that there is great concern for the hostages and the immediate release of the hostages is absolutely necessary. And I could not agree more that all hostages should be released. I have also heard from Palestinian community members that there is great fear that people in Gaza are at risk of being decimated, that Palestinians should, not also, should also not continue to suffer with tens and thousands of innocent lives being lost, including thousands of children being orphaned. I have heard these community members say that they feel that no one is speaking up for them out of fear that they will be labeled an anti-Semite. And they have begged and pleaded that in my role that I use my voice. In my conversations with people, it has been pointed out that I do not know what it is like to be Jewish. And they are absolutely correct. I do, however, know what it is like to be in these types of spaces with this skin, with this hair, with these eyes. But it is true that I do not know what it is like to be Jewish and to be a Jew right now. But I do know what it is to feel generational trauma, the pain, the suffering, and knowing that your people, your ancestors were nearly wiped from this earth in the name of power. I know this pain and I would not wish this on any other people. And supporting a ceasefire is to support human life no matter what side people are on. I can only speak for myself. I can speak for no one else. So let me be clear. I would also call for a ceasefire if the shoe was on the other foot. Because I do condemn the actions of Hamas and I support efforts towards a two-state solution for long-term peace and security because the loss of human life is of utmost importance. <sighs> Lastly, I believe that it is our place to say something because we have members of these communities that are impacted right here in Denver. The landscape of this conflict is ever-changing and I agree with the previous statements made at previous meetings that if this conflict, conflict could be ended with the flip of a switch, I would be there alongside everyone else to flip that switch. I thank everyone who has showed up over the several months to voice their concerns, the people who have called, who have emailed, who I've had so many conversations with, including the sponsors who have brought this proclamation here tonight. And I know that they have taken time and care in meeting with interested community members I trust their intent with this proclamation in acknowledging how this impacts community members on both sides. And that is about humanity. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. <laughs> Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've listened to uh, the eloquent remarks from my colleagues, uh, Councilman Cashman and Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez, and I adopt them, I feel them. I wish that this proclamation had a conclusion that would support 
the ongoing efforts as we speak uh, with Egypt and Qatar in Doha, uh, with the framework that was established in Paris, uh, with the United States and Israel and Hamas uh, dealing through intermediaries to try to reach this very uh, state that we're trying to talk about here, a ceasefire, permanent ceasefire, release of hostages, release of prisoners. I wish that it had said that, but it doesn't. Uh, progress is being made right now, uh, even today, toward a ceasefire, toward humanitarian aid, increasing deliveries of humanitarian aid. Uh, but this proclamation won't affect that at all. Uh, Abraham Lincoln famously said in the Gettysburg Address that the world will little note nor long remember what he said there. He was wrong, but he's right here. The world's not going to note or remember what we're doing here. But what we're doing here, <clears throat> what we're doing here, what we're doing here is cultivating more polarization in the Denver community, more conflict, more fear, more anger. We're nurturing it and we're growing it through this. And it'll accomplish nothing. I wish that we would support the Egyptian and Qatarian and US efforts that probably will result in a ceasefire. This will do nothing and I will not vote to support this. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman Flynn. Up next, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you. I think it's, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Madam uh, President. And I find the fact that we have this brought before us today in this chamber is reflective of a few things. So it's just a few observations. Um, everyone we've heard, we have passion, we have hurt, there is pain, there's disagreement, there is agreement, and other ends, there's loss, there's personal story, and there's personal truth. And in many ways, um, many of the people that I've heard from over many weeks right, from public comment and those who have called us on our phones, who have texted us, who've sent emails. Um, thank you. Thank you for reaching out. I've read every single one of them. I've listened to them all. Um, and again, to those who are in the chamber and those who are outside, thank you for being here today. I know there's a lot of people who are also watching this on TV. Thank you for watching and engaging today. What I can honestly say is what I've heard from everyone at their core, and maybe these aren't the words that are, everyone is using, so, but this is what I hear, is that there is a desire for peace. Um, let me say that again. I think everyone here has a desire for peace. And what I find you know, troubling is that as we have had this proclamation brought before us and in the process to modify language, and move an issue forward in this body, it hasn't brought peace within our community. Pam. So for now, it has, I think, 
and you can hear it in the comments and you can hear it as you know we speak across to one another um it has done everything but bring peace to us and bring peace to our community what troubles me is that it has actually i think stopped us from talking to one another stopped us from listening to one another we listen to public comment and for those who are here and know that we have it and i you know i'll speak for myself but i know for my other council colleagues we're listening to every word we're feeling it deeply um, and it is it is a lot to take in to carry home to have at night to think about to keeps us up at least keeps me up at night on the weekends it's not you know i i've got somebody asking me about trash right now but i'm thinking about this and it's like i've got this is constantly on my mind um but i also believe it's a false premise to believe that a vote on this proclamation today means that any of us are up here voting against a community that we're voting against a palestinian community that we're voting against a jewish community ma'am i'm going to ask you to leave the chambers if you can't let our council members speak i'm not So thank you, Councilman Cashman. I appreciate your comments and the additions that you would add for what I think it will take for us to be able to move things forward. Thank you to my colleagues who have spoken, who we all speak within our truth of our lived experiences and knowing that this is, you know, not an easy day, not an easy vote, not an easy opportunity, yet we are all here still engaged and wanting to come together for our community. Again, I keep coming back to what it hasn't done is foster collaboration as we face huge issues here in our city. It weighs heavy on me, the crises that we face for homelessness, for our migrant community, for housing, and subsequently budget cuts in every department in the city. Those things are very real. Those things are very here today. And please continue, Councilwoman. Can I hear you? You know, we've heard from other um, constituents, and I think that one that um, particularly resonated was like you i'm horrified this was from someone in my district i like you i'm horrified by what is happening in gaza in response to the murder and the rape and the kid and the kidnapping of israeli men women and children and even baby and even babies i hate that the israeli right-wing government as do many of the vast majority of israelis in fact those who have been protesting their government weekly until Hamas broke a ceasefire. That is one piece. That is one piece. I'm not gonna go through every email that's been written. That is one piece of things that are being considered. But I don't think that we are going to achieve 
um, I don't believe that in this body we are going to achieve the peace that we need in this community with this proclamation. So I am going to be a no. This is not a dialogue, I'm, folks. This I is am time for council to members no today. To I appreciate your patience. Councilwoman. But I think what you also hear is something that's reflective. We have big challenges to work with this year in this community together. And this has divided us even further. And I don't see how this helps us move forward. Thank you, Councilwoman. You good? You know, actually, one more. That and what you're hearing is reflective of the inability to be able to bring our community together and have a discussion. I'll nope. take it. Folks, we will recess and clear the room if you cannot allow us to continue with our process. Any more, I'm gonna ask Sheriff deputies to remove folks from the room. Councilwoman, finish, please. Thank you, Council President. I look forward to finding ways that we can get peace in our community. Thank you, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thank you, Madam President. I'll wait. I will too. Thank you, Madam President. Here's what I wish this proclamation said. I wish this proclamation said, we see you, residents of Denver hurting. Whether you are Palestinian, whether you are Israeli or Jewish, whether you have friends or family who have been affected, we see you hurting, we see a community in pain. We acknowledge that because it's true, we do. If this proclamation said that, I would absolutely support it 100%. No, folks. I'll wait. If that's what this proclamation said, I would absolutely support it 100% because that is true. We, I'll wait. I've got kids, I can wait, trust me. Councilwoman. All right, we're in recess.
you feeling?
Can you hear Western Standard Time all right? No, you can't hear us too well. Can you hear us out there in the back? Hey, you play frisbee. <laughs> Y'all having a good time? Welcome to summer at the Levitt Pavilion, Denver. This would be Western Standard Time's first time here at the Levitt. We are very honored to be with all of you at the sunset, gasping for breath. Nah, but it's only rock and roll. I like it. Y'all want to do a dance with me? I don't know why I just said it that way. I'm from Alabama. It comes out every once in a while. Huntsville, baby. Monkey Scott! for the people. 
ladies and gentlemen, Western Standard Time Scott.
Dub, ladies and gentlemen. Bobby Dub with a, with a horn full of love. Gonna taper off. You see, the wonderful thing about music is that it's happening right now. We have great recordings by great artists. We have great videos by great artists that you can watch anytime. But right now is your time to shine. Right now is your time to shine. Where's that lady? Right now is your time to shine back there. Next to the guy with the camera, walking away. No, you can't get away. <laughs> How y'all feeling? Yeah! So I guess you probably recognize by now Western Standard Time is about the instrumentation. You understand? Yeah. Western Standard Time is about each individual powerhouse behind that horn, those drums, that guitar. It's not about having a rock and roll lead singer out. I'm the cheerleader. I come, I go, I applaud, I make sure people get props where props are due. Y'all familiar with the Beatles? Never heard of them. Like that movie, right? Can't wait to see that. I can't wait, right? You know? This is Scott in Vienna Wood.
shot in the creation of this song but we made a dance out of it because it was funny but nobody got shot it's called Bobby and Joe do the Rambo Colorado does kick out some beautiful looking people. 
Dang, y'all gotta be all vicious about it. That's right, I'm beautiful. Beautiful is good, right? Especially right now. I hope y'all having a great time forgetting about the troubles in the world. And that is all we're gonna say about that, all right? Back to dancing. Thank <laughs> you. 
thank you all for having some patience with us while we deal with um, a bit of a shift. I will wait for President Torres to start us off, but just wanted you all to know that for the rest yeah. of the evening will be virtual. Um, and I will defer to President Torres as she gets online. Thank you all for your patience. Madam President, we're live, and so whenever you're ready, you can take it. I just did a little bit announcement while you were getting while we were all getting set up. Thank you for that. And I'm in a um, Councilman Cashman is about to come back, but I believe he is on uh, Zoom. All right, um, Councilwoman Sawyer, are you on? I think we left off at your um, your comments. Great, thank you, Madam President. Um, I will just continue by saying um, that if this proclamation recognized the pain that was occurring in our community on all sides based on um, what we have heard from all residents on all sides of this, I would be supportive of it. Um, I'm not comfortable supporting this particular proclamation with the language of it, which I never saw and never received a fresh copy of from either of the sponsors, um, which is also a problem. Um, I think that our community deserves better from us as its elected officials. We are a divided community in a way that I haven't seen us be divided in, in, in a very, very long time. The only kind of, um, analogy that I can really think of in my five years in office at this point is during the George Floyd protests. Um, and that was incredibly painful for all of us and incredibly sad. Um, and, and I see that happening again over this issue. And so I appreciate everyone coming out tonight to speak on this. And I appreciate um, the positions on all sides, but it is our job as elected representatives in the city and county of Denver to represent the needs of our residents and to build community. And this is not building community, this is dividing our community. And so I'm not supportive of it tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I think that you were the last one in queue, um, but I do wanna make sure that we get in. Um, I've got Councilwoman, um, Alvidrez, please go ahead, and then Councilwoman Gilmore. I just noticed that my name says Councilwoman <clears throat> Pro Tem Sandoval, so I'll see about fixing that. But um, yeah, unfortunately, this has been an extremely difficult time. And by what has happened in chambers today and the lack of respect and lack of ability to have a civil discourse and conversation, I'm going to have to be a no on this as well. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Gilmore. 
Thank you, Council President. I want to acknowledge all of the speakers and the proclamation sponsors. We know that the advocacy, folks' lived experiences, and opinions matter. And it's clear that we value that by the time that we as a council have spent talking about this proclamation, hearing from members of our community, both Palestinian and um, Israeli about this conflict and about what's happening. And we know that people are divided, scared, angry, heartbroken, and horrified by the violence in both Gaza and Israel. And Denver City Council, we do not have oversight over the federal government. And I don't believe that it's appropriate for us to be entertaining a proclamation when such as this, when we have so many different crises going on at the same time and the division and the rhetoric that we're hearing is not helping us get to that place of peace and a ceasefire. And so I won't be able to support the proclamation tonight. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. Um, I'll offer my comments um, to, to round us out before we vote. Um, and I know that uh, all of us have received communication that tells us we can't or shouldn't involve ourselves in geopolitical or international politics. Uh, one that's never really stopped this council from taking on issues outside of Denver's borders before and um, I do see Denver City Council um, has and probably will in the future share its opinion about international issues. We are um, individuals that care deeply about not just our the community we live in, but the communities that we come from. Uh, we've received communication today that um, from many folks that we need to focus on local matters. And I guarantee you, um, we all do every single day, all 13 of us. Um, and for many in our community, um, this directly affects them, whether they're Israeli or Palestinian, Muslim or Jewish. Um, they may have had family killed, displaced, traumatized, kidnapped. Um, so this is affecting local community. Um, for me, I I really do only have a desire, desire for peace and an end of this war, um, which is heartbreaking from all angles. Um, should there be a call for ceasefire, it should be for both Hamas and Israel. And I believe this pared down proclamation says that. Um, I know that we, this council condemns violence against all populations, and we cannot be dismissive of anyone's pain. And I cringe at the comments that diminish it, whether it be somebody for or against this proclamation or any other that we do in the future. Um, I know anti-Semitism is real. Here, I've seen it exercised largely by white nationalist Americans, and we cannot say it doesn't exist. We also cannot say that hate against Muslims and immigrants and so many other communities um, also exists and in fact is is at heights, new heights. Um, uh, so with that, I will ask our um, a secretary for roll call on proclamation 24-0006. And reminder folks, this is a proclamation, not a resolution. Shannon is getting the link. We need to hold for a second. 
Hello. Hi, Shannon. Hi, can you hear me? Secretary. Yes, we are ready for, for a roll call. Okay, thank you so much. I'm gonna just open that up. Alvidras? No. Flynn? Nay. Gilmore? No. Gonzalez Gutierrez? No. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Hi. Hines? Hines? Cashman? Cashman? Nay. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? No. Sandwell? Nay. Sawyer? Nay. Watson? Nay. Hines? Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Eight nays, four ayes. Four. Proclamation 24-0006 has failed. Um, but we will move on to um, our, uh, excuse me, our public hearings. Um, and just a reminder, council is conducting the remainder of the meeting by electronic meeting. Revised Municipal Code 2-3331 due to unforeseen circumstances at uh, safety, life, or welfare. And Section 9.7, the Council President has approved virtual participation for all council members. Chambers is open for individuals who would like to observe, and the proceedings can be viewed through Denver 8. Individuals signed up to speak may do so in person or virtually. We have three public hearings tonight. For those participating in person when called upon, please come to the podium on the monitor on the wall. You'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. When you are promoted, please accept this promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one and your microphone. All speakers should begin their remarks by telling council your name and your city of residence. And if you feel comfortable doing so, your home address. If you've signed up to answer questions only, please state your name and note you're available for questions of council. Speakers will have three minutes. There is no yielding of time. If translation is needed, you'll be given an additional three minutes for your comments to be interpreted. Speakers must stay on the topic of the hearing and direct your comments to council as a whole. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech and refrain from individual or personal attacks. Uh, Councilwoman Lewis, are you ready for, um, okay. 
Uh, Councilwoman Lewis, uh, will you please put Council Bill 23-1989 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 23-1989 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you very much. Um, can I get an audible uh, motion and second, please? Second. So moved. Thank you very much. Moved by Councilwoman Sawyer, seconded by Councilwoman Sandoval. Um, the required public hearing for Council Bill 23-1989 is open. May we have the staff report. We are joined by Edson Ibanez from Community Planning and Development. Hello, can you hear me and see my presentation? Yes, we're able to see your presentation and hear you. Um, good evening, council and members of the public. My name is Edson Ibanez. I am with CPD. Um, before you today, we are uh, presenting 3150 West Scott Place. Uh, the request is to go from a single unit zone district to a single unit zone district that allows for an ADU. So it's going from, the main request for this is for a lot change. So the current uh, minimum lot size for a USUC is 50, uh, 50, 50 feet for frontage. Uh, and then the US, uh, USB allows for about 37.5. The actual property itself there at 3150 West Scott Place has a frontage of 40 feet. And so the main request is mainly to allow for uh, a smaller zone district that will allow for an ADU, but still be in the single unit zone district. And so this was uh, um, originally Fran, but she's out sick, so I'm presenting for her. So with that, I'm gonna uh, talk about the request, go through the location and context, talk about the process and go through the review criteria for this rezoning. So the first one, like I mentioned, the request for this item is, um, they're located in the red uh, rectangle there, uh, between Hooker and Grove Street um, on the south end of Scott Place. On the south side of Scott Place is a property that's 7,460 square feet, and it's a single unit residential. Um, and so, uh, like I mentioned, it would allow for an ADU. Um, it's located in Council District 1 in the Berkeley uh, neighborhood. And as you can see um, there on the red dot that it's more on the eastern side of Berkeley. Um, the current zoning, like I mentioned, is USUC1, which is a single unit zone district with a minimum lot size of uh, 5,500 square feet. Um, but it, it has that frontage requirement of 50 and the site itself is 40. Um, the land use is what we get from the assessors. Um, it's a single unit residential. And as you can see, everything around it is single unit. Uh, the yellow is two unit uh, residential. And then there on Federal and 44th, you can see some of the red, which is commercial and retail. Um, so the property there, you can see in the upper left corner, um, it's a single story, single single family resident. And then it's like the community has a mixture of one to two story structures. Um, with that, I'm gonna dive into the process. So the information on notice um, uh, went out in October and went, it, before planning board in December 20th, and it's before you today, we've received one letter of support from adjacent neighbor, as well as one letter of opposition from an adjacent uh, neighbor, which are attached to the staff report. Uh, the letter of opposition was around privacy and construction noise um, for that, and they're attached to the staff report. 
with that, I'll dive into the review criteria. So there are five review criteria that have to every map amendment has to meet according to the Denver zoning code. Uh, with that, um, it's consistent with adopted plans, uniformity of district regulations, how is the rezoning further, furthering the public health, safety, and welfare? What is the justifying circumstances for the rezoning and how is it consistent with the neighborhood context zone district and in purpose and intent statements? So this specific rezoning falls under two adopted plans, which are Comprehensive Plan 2040 and Blueprint Denver of 2019. Um, so the first one, Comprehensive Plan 2040. So I do wanna highlight um, so goals within the equity and climate sections. So under equitable, affordable, and inclusive goal two, strategy A, create a greater mix of housing options in every neighborhood for all individuals and families, as well as um, environmentally resilient goal, promote infill development where infrastructures and services are already in place. So within Blueprint, the area is classified as urban neighborhood context, where we anticipate to see a small multi-unit residential mixed with and embedded within one unit and two unit residential areas. Within the future place type, it's classified as low residential, which is predominantly single and two unit areas, but accessory dwelling units are appropriate. Um, and then uh, Scott Place, Hooker and Grove Street are all local streets, which are categorized by um, residential uses. And then our growth area map uh, shows this area as all other areas of the city. So this is where we anticipated to see 10% uh, of job growth by 2040 and 20% of housing by 2040 in this in this part of the city. Um, Blueprint also has specific strategy around ADUs under the land use and built form housing policy four, which talks about the diversity of housing choice through the expansion of accessory dwellings throughout all residential areas. Um, it's consistent with uh, the second and third criteria as specified in the staff report. Um, and also justifying circumstances for this area. It's consistent with the policies identified in comprehensive plan and blueprint Denver, as well as it's consistent with the neighborhood context zone district purpose and state statements as it's a single unit zone district in the urban neighborhood context. And it's consistent there as specified in the staff report. Therefore, um, CPD recommends approval based that all the finding review criteria have been met. I'm available for questions and the applicant is here available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Edson. Uh, we didn't have anybody signed up to speak this evening. Um, so uh, we will start, uh, go right into questions from members of council on Bill 23-1989. And I would like to um, welcome back to the meeting, Councilman Hines. Um, so please raise your hand in, uh, in Zoom there if you have any comment. And I will, or I'm sorry, any questions? We'll start with questions. All right, I don't see any hands up. The public, it's called the public hearing closed. Are there comments by members of council? We'll start with uh, Councilwoman uh, Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. And thank you, Edson, for this presentation. Um, currently right now, my office has an application for accessory dwelling units through this entire area. This application um, was submitted prior to the application that um, is currently being processed with community planning and development. Um, this meets what I believe all of the um, consistency with adopted plans. And just so um, I'm transparent, I want everyone to know that this is on my block. It's around the corner from me. Um, it's not um, anyone in my family, but it is around the corner from me on my same block. And my block is very unique. We don't have an alley. If you look at the map, 
Um, and so just wanted you all to know how close to proximity this was before I voted. Um, but I feel like I'm able to totally take an opinion on this. I don't have any um, conflict of interest. So with that, I would ask that you all support this um, application. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. And I don't see anyone else in queue. Madam Secretary, roll call please on Bill 23-1989. And remember to turn on your camera when you're voting. Alvidris? Aye. Glenn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Parody? Aye. Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Council Bill 23-1989 has passed. Councilwoman Lewis, um, will you put our next bill up, Council Bill 23-1985, on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 23-1985 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Second. Can I get a verbal motion and second? Second. So moved. Thank you very much. Um, motion by Councilwoman Lewis, second by Councilman Flynn. Um, the required public hearing for Council Bill 23-1985 is open. Uh, may we have the staff report? I think we have Edson again, right? Perfect. Um, hello, everyone. Again, my name is Edson Ibanez uh, with uh, CPD, Community Planning and Development. Um, before you today, we're looking at 4120 North Federal Boulevard. Uh, the request is to go from a single unit zone district to a residential mixed use up to three stories. Um, and so I'll go through the request, talk a little bit about the location and context, go through the review, um, go through the uh, review criteria for this rezoning. So with that, um, the applicant um, is looking to re rezone this property highlighted in red there on the east side of Federal and just north of 41st Avenue. Um, and the request is mainly because the applicant is looking to construct nine townhomes. And the request is to go from a, like I mentioned, a single unit zone district with the COA. It's a conservation overlay that's specifically designed for single and two unit uses. The site itself is a formal uh, medical clinic, which is currently vacant, um, and it's just over 12,000 square feet. Um, and looking at the location, it's, as you can see, they're highlighted in, in the circle. It's located in Council District 1 in, in Amanda Sandoval's district in the Sunnyside neighborhood. So it's just uh, on the west side of Sunnyside there on the very border. Um, like I mentioned, the current zoning is USUC1 CO8, which is that single unit zone district that allows for ADUs, um, and the CO8, which is that conservation overlay uh, that is specifically designed for single two unit uses, which is not the case for this property. Um, directly to the south of the site, you see UMX2X, which is a mixed use up to two stories, uh, but predominantly everywhere else, it's a single unit zone district 
Um, and then along federal, you see UMX2 and UMX3 directly to the south, which are mixed use uh, zone districts up to two and three stories. Um, from a land use, the site is classified as commercial retail in red. Um, and it's the property is there on the bottom right hand corner. As you can see, it's a one story structure. And then um, the property to the north, you can you can see that it is a um, two story single family residence. But it's predominantly single family here. But along federal, you see two unit and commercial. Um, so with that, um, the process, um, the information on notice was sent out in February of, of last year. It went before the planning board in December, and it is before you tonight. Um, when it went before planning board on December 20th, um, this item, when it was voted, it was voted unanimously. And then we had um, three individuals that signed up to speak at that specific meeting, um, which all voted in support of the rezoning. Um, and then, um, and the, the individuals were property owners, um, adjacent property owners, as well as the sunny RNL spoke in support of the rezoning. Um, so when it comes to public comment, um, we did send out notices to all different RNOs within close proximity. Um, and then Sunny um, RNO entered a good neighbor agreement with the property owner, which is attached to the staff report. In that specific good neighbor agreement, um, there's specific requirements on design materials and um, uh, yeah, specific design materials and just overall outcome of design for the property itself. Um, and then uh, the property owner to the to the north of the subject prop subject site um, entered mediation with the with the property owners, and from there were able to sorry from there they were able to get a good neighbor agreement and the property owner uh, submitted a letter of support which is attached to the staff report. Um, with that, um, I'm going to dive into the review criteria. So there's five review criteria that every map amendment has to have according to the Denver Zoning Code and I will go through them one by one. So the first one is consistency with adopted plans. So there's four adopted plans that we're looking at specifically for this rezoning, which is comprehensive plan 2040, blueprint Denver, uh, the federal Boulevard corridor plan and the near Northwest area plan. Um, so within comprehensive plan, there's multiple strategies that the staff report outlines, but I do wanna highlight from the equity and climate. So within Equitable, affordable, and inclusive goal two strategy A, create a greater mix of housing options in every neighborhood for all individuals and families. And then within the strong and authentic neighborhood goal one strategy D, encourage quality infill development that is consistent with the surrounding neighborhood that offers opportunities for increased amenities. Within climate, environmentally resilient goal A strategy A, promote infill development where infrastructures and services are already in place. And then encourage mixed use communities where residents can live, work, and play in their neighborhoods. Um, Within um, Blueprint Denver, as you can see highlighted in red there, um, the subject site is classified as urban within the neighborhood context where we see small multi-unit residential uses mixed and embedded within one to two unit residential areas. And the block patterns are generally regular with a mix of alley access. Um, within uh, the future place type, this area is classified as low medium residential where it's a mix of low to mid-scale multi-unit residential options and um, limited mixed um, limited mixed use area limited limited mixed use is allowed along arterial and collector streets with a recommendation up to three stories and then federal boulevard is a residential arterial um, the growth area strategy for this area is um, 
All other areas of the city where we anticipate 20% of new housing growth and 10% of new employment by 2040. Um, within the Federal Boulevard Corridor Plan, this plan was adopted uh, close to 30 years ago. And um, there's not specific height recommendations or land use recommendations for this specific site, but it does say that um, between West 38th and 44th Avenue, so it highlights this area for improved streetscape, and it does call for small commercial uses can occur on specific intersections, but it doesn't give specific recommendations on height and land use. Um, but the one that does this is a near Northwest area plan that was just adopted last month. Um, that one, uh, as you can see highlighted there with a red star, um, calls out the future place type low medium residential where we see a mixed to low to mid scale multi-unit residential building forms where it does say limited neighborhood servicing commercial can be found. So the applicant is requesting for a URX3. Within the URX3, um, it, it does allow for a limited commercial where it limits commercial just on the first floor and residential is allowed for the second and third floor. The applicant has a good neighbor agreement with the adjacent property owner and the RNO to build nine townhomes. So uh, uh, that's what the applicant is seeking to do. Uh, and the height recommendation for the near Northwest plan goes up to three stories, but within the Sunnyside recommendation, it does provide specific, um, a specific recommendation that says encourage design um, outcomes with low medium places that are compatible with the neighborhood. And that's what the good neighbor agreement is looking to do, provide specific design recommendations that the uh, RNO wanted for, the, for this specific neighborhood and being consistent with the residential neighborhood. So with that, under uniformity district relations, proposed zoning of URX3 will result in a uniform application of zone district build reform use and design regulations. And then um, it would further the public health, safety, and welfare as it is consistent with the adopted plans and most recently with uh, the near Northwest area plan that was adopted last month. And it would provide for additional housing units that are compatibly integrated with the surrounding neighborhood. Um, with that, the justifying circumstances would be a seed adopted plan such as it's consistent with Blueprint Denver and the Near Northwest West Area Plan. And it's consistent with the neighborhood context zone district purpose and intent statements as specified in the staff report. Therefore, CPD recommends approval that based that, based that all the findings of the review criteria have been met, I'm available for questions and the applicant um, is here also available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Edson. Um, we did not have anyone signed up to speak this evening. Um, we will move into any questions from members of council on Bill 23-1985. Please indicate you have questions by raising your hand. Okay, seeing no questions, the public hearing is closed. Are there comments by members of council on 1985? We'll start with Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. Um, thank you, Edson, for this um, overview of this rezoning. Uh, this first came to my office, I wanna say three and a half years ago. Um, it used to be a healthcare clinic in Northwest Denver that went out of business during um, hard times of COVID. So um, I think that this is a good use. They have been working with the neighborhood, registered neighborhood organization, and you'll see a letter in from Luke today um, or in Legistar, if you all didn't receive that and you have other questions, um, please feel free to ask me, but I feel like this is a good um, use of this 
uh, zone district. I really, I particularly care for this zone district better than other zone districts. And I feel like it will have a good outcome and it meets, um, most importantly to me, it meets the intent of the near Northwest plan that we spent two and a half years working on and that we, this body just adopted. So I ask for all of your support this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Council President, you're muted. Look at you. You're you're still you're still in that role even when we're on Zoom. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call, please, on Council Bill 23-1985. And just a reminder, council members need to turn on your camera when you're voting. Al Petrus. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Gilmore? Gilmore? Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Gilmore? Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 12 ayes. 12 ayes. Council Bill 23-1985 has passed. And then um, thank you very much, um, Edson. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put Council Bill 23-1987 on the floor for final passage. Thank you. I move that Council Bill 23-1987 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Second. Thank you very much. That has been moved by Councilwoman Lewis, seconded by Councilman Hines. Um, the required public hearing for Council Bill 23-1987 is open. May we have the staff report? I think we're joined by Lisa, CPD. Okay. Um, good evening. My name is Elisa Childress. I'm an associate city planner with community planning and development, and I'm here to present the rezoning request at 6173, 7587, and 95 North Lincoln Street. I'll start with some information about the request. This is an applicant-driven application requesting to change the zoning classification for the properties at 6173, 7587, and 95 North Lincoln Street. The northernmost property is currently zoned General Urban, Main Street, five stories with the billboard use overlay and the adult use overlay. And then the rest of the properties are currently zoned General Urban, multi-unit, five stories with the historic structure, structure use overlay. The requested zone district for all of the properties is General Urban, Main Street, five stories with no overlay districts. This area encompasses five properties for a total of 30,653 square feet. And then currently on the site, there is a single story commercial building, surface parking, a single family residential house, and a duplex. And the intention of this rezoning is to redevelop the properties under a common zone district. Moving on to location and context, this site is located in Council District 7, and it's on the edge of the Spears Statistical Neighborhood. 
And then here's the zoning map. So again, the northernmost property is zone GMS5, U01, and U02. And then the rest of the properties are zone GMU5, U03. Um, and I'll just talk briefly about the overlays. The U01 is the adult use overlay. The U02 is the billboard use overlay. And then the U03 is the historic structure use overlay. And there are no adult uses, billboards, or historic structures on these properties. The existing land use is office and retail, parking and single unit and two unit residential. There's a single unit residential use um, across from Lincoln Street and then commercial retail to the north and across the alley. Here are some photos of the site. So the top photo shows the commercial building and the surface parking lots and then the bottom photo shows the single unit house and the duplex. And then for context, here are some photos of surrounding properties, including that commercial property to the north and then the single unit housing across Lincoln. Um, moving on, I'll talk about the process to date. Um, so property owners within 200 feet, relevant RNOs and all elected officials were notified about this application on October 28th. And then the same groups of people were notified again about the planning board hearing on October 31st and again on December 4th due to rescheduling. The planning board unanimously recommended approval at their meeting on December 20th, and then the Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee heard this application on January 2nd, which brings us to today's hearing. Um, so far, I've received 14 letters of support from neighbors and other stakeholders. Um, the key themes of these letters include support for the creation of additional housing units and a commitment to affordable units. Letters also stated that allowing a mix of uses in this area would support local businesses and that the rezoning would contribute positively to the public realm by adding street level active uses. Um, I'd also like to note that the applicant has entered into a community benefit, benefit agreement with members of the community. Um, and then lastly, I will discuss the review criteria. So for a rezoning to be recommended approval by city council, it must be found that the requested map amendment is consistent with the five review criteria outlined in the Denver zoning code and staff does find this application to be consistent with all criteria. Um, I'll start with the first criteria, which is consistency with adopted plans. And there are three adopted plans that apply to this uh, property. It would be comprehensive plan 2040, blueprint Denver and the West Washington Park neighborhood plan. Starting with Comprehensive Plan 2040, the proposed rezoning meets multiple goals in this plan, like ensuring that all Denver residents have safe, convenient, and affordable access to basic services and a variety of amenities, building a network of well-connected, vibrant mixed-use centers and corridors, and encouraging quality infill development that is consistent with the surrounding neighborhood, as well as other goals in this plan that relate to well-connected, safe, and environmentally resilient neighborhoods. Um, let's move on to Blueprint Denver. The subject site is mapped as part of the general urban neighborhood context, which is described as having mixed use multi-unit residential along single unit development, including good street activation and safe active pedestrian scaled areas. And this description does align with the proposed main street district. Um, the future places map designates the subject site as community corridor. Uh, these place types typically have a mix of office, commercial and residential uses Buildings are oriented linearly along the street and general height guidance in this area is up to five stories. Therefore, the promotes main, main street district does align with these characterizations. And then the blueprint growth strategy is community, community centers and corridors where we expect to see 25% of new housing and 20% of new jobs by 2040. Uh, and then the last plan that I'll discuss is the West Washington Park neighborhood plan. 
Um, this plan was adopted in 1991, and at the time that this plan was adopted, the majority of these properties were zoned R3, which is a high-density multi-unit district in the former Chapter 59 zoning code. So residential land use recommendation number two in this plan talks about exploring the possibility of reviewing this R3 zone district for possible changes to make uses more compatible with um, existing moderate density land uses. So due to the age of this plan, the development that's occurred in the neighborhood since 1991 and the adoption of blueprint number 2019, staff does find that a rezoning to GMS5 is consistent as it would um, allow more uses that could help support the growing needs of this neighborhood. Uh, moving on to criteria two and three, staff finds that um, the next two criteria are also met. The rezoning will result in a uniformity of district regulations and it will further public health, safety, and welfare through the implementation of adopted land use plans. Um, additionally, the proposed GMS5 district would allow a range of uses more compatible with a mixed use corridor, and this would create opportunities for more houses and uh, community serving businesses. The justifying circumstance for this rezoning is a city adopted plan. As mentioned earlier, Blueprint Denver does map this site as community corridor up to five stories consistent with the GMS five district. And these plans were adapted after the date of approval of the existing zone district. So this is the appropriate justifying circumstance for this rezoning. Um, lastly, the proposed rezoning is consistent with the general urban neighborhood context, the main street districts and the GMS five zone district. And with that, staff does recommend approval based on the findings that all criteria have been met. Um, thank you, and the applicant and I are present and available to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Elisa. And we have two individuals signed up to speak this evening. Elisa, are the applicant Dirk and Gertie? Both are here with me in person. Okay, uh, Dirk, we'll first turn it over to you. You have three minutes. Hi there. Um, so. Uh, my name is Dirk McQuistian. I'm the developer and I've uh, lived and worked in this neighborhood for the last 18 years. Um, this, what we're proposing is a mixed use multifamily project um, that would actually take advantage of the enhanced housing affordability um, program that the city introduced. I just want to give the city council feedback that this project would not happen uh, without that uh, density incentive. We actually canceled this plan last year uh, because we couldn't actually make the numbers work um, with regards to uh, the GMS5 zoning even on a full rezone. We actually then went back to the drawing board to do use by right to try and not be impacted by housing affordability uh, uh, when we thought it was gonna be 12 to 15% and no increase in density. Uh, so we actually uh, canceled this plan last spring, essentially, and um, the enhanced housing affordability has, has put it back on the map. I've done a bunch of community outreach over the last two and a half years for this project. We've recently reached a, an agreement with three uh, neighborhood RNOs, WWPNA, EHNA and LBC RNO. And um, so I'm pleased to announce that we have signed that agreement. Uh, and I believe it's been forwarded to all of you uh, as of probably today. Um, so uh, we're really excited about um, activating the street uh, and bringing more business services and uses to the neighborhood as well as 
um, some affordable housing at 60% of the adjusted uh, median income. Um, so 10% of the project would be at 60% AMI. I really don't have any other things to tell you. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And thanks for sticking with us um, on Zoom. Uh, we'll go over to Gertie. Good evening, Council President and members of Council. I only came down tonight because I wanted to see what you guys looked like in person. And guess <laughs> what? <laughs> but it's democracy at its best out there in the hallway. And I hope you can hear what I'm saying. Um, I live, my name is Gertrude Grant, and I live at 242 South Lincoln Street, uh, which is in Lucky Council District 7. Um, I live or own property within all three of the RNOs with whom Dirk has so patiently been negotiating over the last um, six months. Um, and I really commend him for his patience, for his willingness to Zoom with us from Mexico and a few other times when he agreed to Zoom with, to have Zoom meetings with us. Um, the, all of the RNOs support this rezoning conditioned on a reaching a community benefit agreement, which we have. Um, all the RNOs want affordable housing and the community be but benefit agreement allows commercial on the first floor and requires residential above that. Um, and under the community benefit agreement, Dirk has agreed to apply for um, two additional, well, under the Enhanced Housing Affordability Act to apply um, for the two additional stories, which would allow this project to work for him. And we really, all of us want it to work for him. Um, the covenants are to run with the land. Um, for 15 years, um, and they provide safety and pedestrian walkability. Um, the alley entrance, all, all the parking for off-street parking is to be from the alley, not from Lincoln. Um, it requires landscaping and barriers to mitigate the impact of Lincoln traffic um, and construction materials and design. Um, of the building that will break up a solid wall of building along Lincoln. All of us realize that construction costs can go way up. Things can really change. And under the community benefit agreement, we're all supposed to sit down and respectfully talk with each other about what, what is possible given the financial constraints. And I really commend um, Dirk for working with us as patiently as he has. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we only had two um, individuals signed up to speak. So thank you both uh, for being here and, um, and sticking with us. That concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on 1987? And please raise your hand if you have a question. Not seeing any hands raised. We will close the public hearing. Are there comments by members of council on 1987? And we will start with Councilwoman Alvidez. Thank you. And thank you so much, Dirk and Gertie, for being here. It's good to see you both. Um, and yes, thank you to the community side and to you, Dirk, for all of your efforts in 
working with the neighborhoods to get them around. I know this wasn't the easiest one, but I know you have really good intentions and listened to community. So I really appreciate that. Um, I will be supporting this and ask my colleagues to do so as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next up, Councilman Cashman. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Um, I, I wanted to thank the, uh, um, the uh, property owner for the robust outreach with the community. And I, I just wanted to say I've known uh, Gertie Grant for probably close to 40 years, and she is not an easy one to get on your side. If there wasn't substance to the agreement, it would not have taken place. And I appreciate Gertie and the other neighbors for uh, leaning in to make sure the community got uh, something that is beneficial for it. And uh, uh, thank uh, CPD and everyone involved for coming to a good conclusion. Unmute. Thank you, Councilman Cashman. Um, I will also chime in and just say, you know, this is one of the um, first times that I'm hearing about um, uh, the really positive way that expanding housing affordability has benefited a project and that it's brought this one back to life is actually a real joy to hear. And so thank you for sticking with your project as well and really trying to make sure that it worked and um, feel like it met multiple needs, including your your neighborhoods as well as the cities for affordable housing. So um, thank you to the applicant um, and all the work that um, you were willing to do as well. Um, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call please on Council Bill 23-1987. Alvidrat. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Hines. Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, please close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 eyes. Council Bill 23-1987 has passed. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to the applicants. Um, on Monday, March, March 11th, 2024, Council will hold a required public hearing on Council Bill 24-0084, changing the zoning classification for 1160 South Yates Street in Marley, and a required public hearing on Council Bill 24-0090, changing the zoning classification for 1410 South Humboldt Street in Washington Park. Any protests against Council Bills 8490 must be filed with the Council Office no later than noon on Monday, March 4th, 2024. There being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everyone. place is a home run. This is how you do a caprese. That's a burrata caprese. That's the way it should be done. Burrata is like a soft mozzarella. Look at the size of these balls. He's doing it the right way too. Pork, veal, beef. There's no other way to do meatballs. Beautiful salmon. If I was going to do a salmon dish, 
I would do it just like this with risotto, broccolini, and pesto. And then you got a creamy sun-dried tomato pesto here with this rigatoni. I don't even have to eat. It's a 10. And they even have their own wine. They have a nice Barberoni here. Maybe he'll let me